Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of After Work Drinks is brought to you by Dan Murphy's and their brand spanking new seltzer range. I am so excited about this partnership because, as you know, Grace, I was drinking seltzers all month while I was in L.A., Everyone drinks them over there. And now Australia is catching on with Dan Murphy's stocking a whole bunch of amazing seltzer brands, including Liberty Coast, Rainbird, and Hint. So until recently, I had never even heard of a seltzer. So can you please enlighten our listeners as to what they are and why they are so popular? Basically, a seltzer is an alcoholic sparkling water. So it's usually made with a neutral spirit like a vodka and they're super light and super refreshing and incredibly delicious. And that's why we're recording this episode with a can in hand. Cheers. 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 Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of After Work Drinks With. This week we are so bloody excited to be speaking to Raven Smith. Raven is a Vogue columnist, a freelance creative director, a guest lecturer at Central St. Martins and the author of the best-selling book Raven Smith's Trivial Pursuits. But most importantly, he is our absolute favorite person on Instagram. A couple of years ago, his hilarious captions started to get a cult-like following by everybody, including us. And he has now over 100,000 followers. We did a poll on pretty much everyone we've ever interviewed on this podcast. So Pandora, Jesse, Florence, Maddie, every outfit on Sex and the City, all follow him. So if you're not already, you need to immediately. We speak to Raven about using humour to deal with how fucked the world is, his unique perspective on classism in the UK, Brad Pitt's face and whether it's actually that good, the celebrities will lower our dignity to get a selfie with, diet turned wellness culture and whether it's discriminatory that women refuse to date short men. So basically all the important questions are answered, so listen now and if you love it, which you will, rate, review and subscribe and share it on Instagram. Thanks guys, bye. Love you guys, bye. Hello! Hello! Hello, Raven! How are you? I'm good, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Do you have wine? I've got a Diet Coke. Not good enough. 
that is true it's not good enough i find myself like so addicted to it and i also have this like weird um like mythology that the caffeine isn't real caffeine like it's just it's just a drink i don't believe in the caffeine of diet coke for some reason i'm like severely addicted to cokes only in a can Mm -hmm. and when i'm hungover i have once drank six that's fine. Wait, That's the real, the full sugars. Full sugar. Fuck Ooh. it. <laughs> Ooh, that makes me that feel like I'm having you. heart palps. But then also like in a yeah. fun way. Fun heart palps. When did you get back from where you were? I was in Greece um, uh, oh. for eight nights. It was great. Nice. And I got back about 1am this morning, but I've been kind of mooching today. So I'm all right. My favourite part of your trip was um, yes. the woman publicly shaming you on your Instagram. Oh my God. She deleted her shame. I thought she you deleted it, it. I went to look at no, it today. No, And then I felt like I had to, I was thinking, should I um, make amends for the <laughs> fact that I didn't delete the Instagram? No, she, she retreated, right. I guess. She backtracked. I mean, she'd misunderstood. She'd misunderstood. Izzy empathizes because um, today she wrote a story about how uh, there's a rumor that Tracy Ellis Ross and Harry Styles are dating. Do we think it's true? We hope it's true. Yeah. Um, but now Izzy's being inundated with uh, Harry Styles stands on her. I'm having to. Go- I'm having to like man my Instagram. Like fucking bombs going off because I've got all these crazy Harry Styles fans livid. thinking they think that I. One of them was like, you're just a jealous bitch. I was like, what? And I was, I was like being positive about this relationship. Obviously, I'm jealous of whoever, whomever Harry Styles is sleeping with. But that's like... I'm jealous of whomever Tracy Ellis Ross is sleeping with. Mm. I've yeah, been exactly. a low-level jealous of Harry Styles for, what, 10 years? So I just... Mm. It's just... It, we just increases in increments. I just allow it to get more and more intense. Yeah. So have you heard that rumour? Yeah, but probably from your Instagram. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no... Because started it. Yeah, I have no, like, knowledge of who is in the pants of Harry Styles at any given moment. Same, unfortunately. Um, so we... Yes. ...recently moved to the UK, and I live east. Yeah. I think somewhere near okay. you, because I've seen you a couple of times, and Grace lives west. And um, yeah. the other day I was trying to show her East London and get her to move over here. So I took her to London Fields and I was like, one day, I kid you not, I saw you walk past, Alexa Chung mm-hmm. and then FKA Twigs all in the same hour. Oh yeah, we were meeting for coffee. <laughs> I know, Bruce was like, were they together? I was like, no, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so on, last Sunday, I was like, we're, we're bound to see someone and I turned around and Paul Mescal was there walking with his new girlfriend. Really? That is a good spot. It was a great... And Izzy just turned to her left and she was like, it's Paul Mescal. Yeah, just that is his... like a, a wildly hot spot. Yeah. He is You like... could have missed it a second either side. She would have missed it. And he was with his new cute um, American singer girlfriend. Yeah, what she flew called? over in the pandemic. Phoebe Bridges. Phoebe Bridges. My friend is obsessed with her. She flew over in the middle of a pandemic. They'd never met and then had to quarantine with him. No. So they... they'd met on Twitter, Twitter flirting. That no. Escalated. I would it's fly a great story. in a pandemic yeah. to see him in to those shorts. Was he wearing shorts? Yeah, he was wearing shorts. He, was, he didn't look very yeah. good. He really. 
He's like one of those people that you would just not think is hot if he wasn't. That, no, no. He's. I mean, objectively, he's not hot. Not hot. That's not it's his the thing. Show. It's my my. I, I also I was like I haven't watched normal people and I was like said to my mum oh I've heard it's really sexy and she went it's not that sexy and I was like what Can I, oh, what's my mum up to oh my god <laughs> I was She's like, like pretty okay. tame. yeah my grandma okay. watched it and that made me really uncomfortable and then she was like he he's a nice boy I was like don't stop <laughs> I don't know I haven't even seen the sex scenes because like the first series of Game of Thrones I just watched a reel of the sex scenes so I could just know what how if it was sexy or not <laughs> but I haven't even watched a reel of the sex scenes of normal people nothing it's very like breathy and very um intimate like cl- very close angle oh uh, yeah the director yeah I did a lot of commentary about how she doesn't objectify women's bodies in sex scenes so you always see the woman's face it's not just but she does objectify men yeah <laughs> well the tables have yeah, turned. yeah yeah it's work for paul i mean his necklace sales must be going through the roof exactly yeah so um you write a lot about pop culture and celebrities um which we yes. do as well so we wanted to know who someone is that you have or would lower your dignity to get a selfie with? Oh, that's so tough. Well, I once got one with Voldemort. Does that count? Yes. Really? <laughs> he was nearby. Like some, He's on like, my list. I'm a, I'm, I get really... I will never ask somebody for a selfie because I, I just feel like it's against what I stand for. Mm. But with Voldemort... I just leaned in and my friend got a picture of him <laughs> behind me, <laughs> which is worse. Yeah. It's worse. A surreptitious sweater is definitely worse. Somebody took one of the back of my head on an easy jet flight and I was mortified. Playing oh, cheap seats with Raven Smith. And oh, I was like, God. yeah. <laughs> it's like the time, um, time. Lil Bow Wow said he was on a private jet and then someone took a photo of him in economy just on a normal flight. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> At least he wasn't in that fake. Where is the fake private jet where you can just? Yeah, like I a saw muggle. that today. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a the set. The lengths that people go to 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 embody the lifestyle of the people ruining the planet. Exactly. So obviously, part of your job, especially as a Vogue columnist, is to be very up to speed with whatever's big in pop culture. So we wanted to know specifically what has like grabbed your attention in terms of either individual people. Or just things that are captivating you. Well, what I, I, oh, what, like, what's cutting edge? I'm obs- completely obsessed with Bodhi. I've got a lot of Bodhi shirts, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> and it's about to tip into everyone's got a Bodhi shirt. I'm terrified because <laughs> the, the quality will be great, but I won't be spe- my, I won't be special when I wear it. Because Harry's Harry was in it today, yesterday. Oh dear. Yeah. This is the problem with Instagram as well now, because it's like nothing stays sacred for long. And they're essentially like still quite a small emerging brand, but I think smart stylists are looking the same place I'm looking. <laughs> I, was, I was pronouncing the name wrong. Bodhi, I, I believe. Yeah, Bodhi. I think right. everyone says Bode, but it's Bodhi. Mm. So don't worry. You know. he's a a vogue colleague um and what about in terms of people i've been noticing you've been posting a bit of jude law of late which is obsessed yeah he's so hot is jude law new someone was trying to say he wasn't hot on your post yeah 
a lot of people don't think I I feel like he's my new go-to hot guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's the he's the he's the guy that dresses brilliantly. His back catalogue of life is amazing. I mean, the films he's done are seminal. And there's something about I never watched a new Pope, so but I've heard he's good in that. But there's something about him being this kind of like him and him and Sienna basically made Boho happen, which sounds bad now, but at the time <laughs> was great. <laughs> I feel like oh imagine imagine Sienna Miller nipping out to the shops in Boho now. It just would be we saw look crazy. Her. That was actually my um Yeah, we saw her last week. Well we were in Notting Hill, yeah, we had coffee. She is le- legitimately I've never met her. She's legitimately a dream girl. She's like quite high on my list. Mm. I wouldn't I, I would never ask her for a selfie because then I couldn't actually be friends with her. I that's know. for me exactly. that's what's holding me back. We are like exactly the same. We're like, Mm. this will never Mm. happen anyway, but I would never risk it for a second. Because then if I took a selfie with them and then they weren't my friend, I would forever think it was because I asked for a selfie when it was just like, they were were never going to be my friend anyway. I would find it hard to be friends with someone who asked me for a selfie. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Bye. I I wouldn't be like, let's have a chat. But I I listened to this... um, thing with Amelia Clark and she was saying instead of asking instead of giving I'm essentially aligning myself with one of the most famous <laughs> people on the planet but she said instead of giving someone a selfie she just says do you want a signature and then she asks them their name and then it's like a conversation because she said she just felt like it was like flash and go flash and go like she wasn't gay there was no interaction yeah. they were just getting this recording and and disappearing I'm going to start offering signatures. <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> the lost art of autographs. Yeah, I'll become like a 90s heart though while sign ple- people's chests. It's like appropriately. <laughs> and they can get them tattooed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you are very funny on Instagram, probably one of our top three accounts of all time. Um, well, and who are the other two? Okay, I, I knew you were going to ask that and I was like, I have not <laughs> yeah. prepared. I mean, Jordan Firstman's a oh, example. Oh, wonderful Jordan. Yeah, he's bro. I mean, there is, is. like, I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, it's actually such a talent how you use humour to make light of all of the grim realities of the world. Is mm. that something that you've always done? Like, were you funny as a kid? Yes, I think so. I hope so. Uh, was I funny as a kid? Yeah, definitely. I remember going to a friend's party i was gonna say children's party but obviously i was a child <laughs> friend's party and her mum saying she regretted getting any entertainment because i was there because i was like in the middle of the circle doing my thing i think i've always been really gobby really but also um quite internal which is the only way i can describe it i don't that sounds like so like oh sad comedian it's such a it's such an annoying trope but there's something about I'm really, I really reflect on things a lot. So that has made it possible for me to be both current and c- kind of, and, and en- endeavor to cut deeper with the stuff that I'm putting out. Mm. It's not, it, it, it seemed, it's ostensibly quite shallow. I think for a long time, I wanted to make work that was timely and timeless. So something that felt very of the now, but would also live forever as something important. And now I just don't care about forever. I, I, I am. Um, I, I don't think that, that our habits have changed so much that people aren't worried about going back into my feed to find something that they think is a timeless piece of witticism about the or, or a, a, 
a, a kind of a lightness in the despair of modern life. I think people just want stuff that's of the now. And I, I've noticed that change really quite. I remember when I was first at Nowness, so 10 years ago when it started, we were talking about social strategies and I was like, no one's on their phone on Christmas Day. And that was true, mm. <laughs> you know, like six, seven years ago, people weren't on their phones on Christmas Day. And now the idea of not being on your phone just seems completely impossible. And if you haven't wished like every other person that you've ever met, Merry Christmas or Happy New Year's. I was like, when did this begin? When everyone's texting each yeah. other? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hate that. It's, well, it's just this kind of false um, c connectivity. It like, makes you think you're close, but you're not. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's not real. <laughs> it's so nice to hang out with people, which is, you know, fuck the pandemic. But it's so nice to hang out with people in person. That is the only, for me, like, that's the magic. I can chat all day on and, and, and just have these, like, interactions with lots of people. But actually chatting to them out loud is where it's like, that's the sweet spot. Mm. Always, always. With your book, Trivial Pursuits, mm. I listened to it in audible form. Me and Izzy have like a long-standing love-hate relationship with oh. Audible because we just have been unable to like break out membership for years. But now we've just accepted it. And um, yeah. your book was the best audio book I'd listened to because it's so suited having you read it. Thank because you. It's obviously very funny, but like it's much funnier when you're... I feel like I sound right like places. I'm about to laugh the whole time I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes it so much funnier. And then I listened to you on the Talk Art podcast and yeah. you were saying that you actually wrote a lot of it by dictating yes. audio into a dictaphone. So I was wondering if you could talk about that process because that's quite interesting. Well, uh, the dictaphone thing. So I've got an app on my phone called Just Press Record and it, it translate whatever, translates whatever you're saying into it. And I find what I was finding really difficult with all my kind of anxiety about even beginning to write a book. Why would somebody write a book? Why would I write a book? Why would anybody try and do this completely mad thing? I loved listening to that, by the way, because I was like having Good. a bad time with writing recently <laughs> and I was running yeah. around the park and you were like, I can't write for shit. And I was like, neither. And then you got yeah. the book out. So I was like, this is good. I think there's this thing of like, it's you get so scared of actually starting I've, i'm much better now and the, there's a confidence that comes with having written a bestseller but there's uh, the, uh, but the realization that like worrying about writing that has not actually helped me write anything mm. sitting down and focusing as the only thing that's got me writing um but i basically was doing sort of stand up on my own in my house talking trying to talk about a point and i think when you start talking about something the first kind of three minutes you're cut you, there's no, you're not really delving deep into anything you're sort of just reflecting oh I've noticed this thing but once you hit the three minute mark you start to really question like what does this really mean what is what do emails really mean they're not just electronic mails that are coming in and driving me nuts what does being tall really serve because it's this complete societal lean towards tall people and I was just trying like I think so I guess it started, what made that good was that every day I sat down to some prose rather than another blinking cursor on a Word doc, which was become like, that's the, that's the terror uh, of being a writer is no matter how good you have done and how much you've nailed something, you always sit down to another blank page and have to start a story from scratch again. And I find that's so... Uh, I want to say liberating, but just awful. I hate 
just starting from scratch every time. It's like, oh, let's let's get the crowd going again from zero. You, you know, it's not like an album where you've got a couple of good tracks to lead people in. You're like straight away, nothing. Silent auditorium. Let's let's try and tell a story again. Yeah, I remember when I was young and I was like, I'm gonna, because I was always wanting to be a writer when I was a kid and then studied at mm. journalism. And I remember when I was young and ambitious, I was like, I'm going to write a book. And as I've gotten older, I was like, fuck that for a joke. That's so stressful. It's, you, you all, I am a writer who writes to a deadline. So it's basically the book deal yeah. was the deadline. <laughs> and that really was it. I was not going to miss my deadline. Yeah. So I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I think also uh, I'm tentatively going into a second book. And mm. I think I've just realized, I don't know, I'm just showing off about my second book. I can't remember <laughs> what my point was. <laughs> well, they're asking me to do it again, so I'm fine. Did you enjoy the writing process? Because I remember listening to David Remnick interview someone and he was saying that he's always found that writers are either split into people who like absolutely love the writing process or people that hate and suffer through the whole writing process but just love having the thing that comes at the end. Like, the se- do you feel the like second one. The second I find... One, I, yeah. I find it is the most having been such a gobby kid and and very reflective and thoughtful and curious about the world and you know all these things it just has crystallized in my writing because i've been writing maybe four years three years um and all of these different tributaries of things that i enjoy things that i find challenging this kind of compulsive need to express but also this um like I'm just way too emotional so and that is basically all converged in writing in a way that people are like oh I'm relating to people I think the thing I find really hard about writing especially writing so personally as I do at times is how completely exposing that is and that is the worst best place to be like to be just totally vulnerable and say this is exactly where I'm at and how I feel and I think the, the the tricky process of writing my first book and despite t- saying to myself repeatedly you only have to write your first book the one time there's only one time you have to write your first book and this is it and it's never going to be like this again but I think for me the hardest part was how much you have to put into a project and how long you have to wait to see how the project is like to, to for any kind of feedback such as we, we are all conditioned to this kind of very short loop of posting something and seeing if what people think of it straight immediately mm. within less than a minute you know if someone something's doing numbers or people are laughing or saying this is outrageous or whatever and i think the hardest thing for me was that very long game of writing something in january and it coming out but you know 19 months later i mean just just and and putting more and more and having to put more and more of myself into it with no with apps it's such an echo chamber like nothing coming back just keep going keep going hit that word count keep going keep going so that for me was like that it, it felt very like icarus like just going closer and closer and closer towards the sun <laughs> just keeps going upwards without without any with and never looking down just just let's keep you just have to keep going and that pressure building of like, what if people just, what if this is shit? How will I know until this until this whole mechanism of publishing has allowed other people to read it? So it, it, it felt, I don't think there's any 
I'll ever hit a point where I'm like, oh, I smashed it. My book's amazing, and people got it. But there is less of that. What do people? What? What? That big giant question mark that was over my life for mm. over a year. Um, something you touch on a lot in the book, and something that we're both still getting our heads around, being kind of new imports to the UK, is the really fucked mm. class system here. Um, oh, <laughs> so we talked to Ju- we talked to Jessie Barden about it um, and how it's impacted her career as an actress. And she said she literally had to move to LA, um, to the US to escape it. Um, and then you touched on it in one of your essays where you said your mum asked what you want to be when you grow up when you were six, and you said you wanted to be middle class, which is like yeah. hilarious oh but also God. sad. <laughs> yes, that's the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. funny, funny, but also, wow, that's quite sad, Raven. And why are you telling me that, Raven? Um, yeah, I think I was very aware when I of, when I grew up that we there were things that we didn't have, like we couldn't have. You, that I, I believe it's a chapter still called Sausages for Christmas, but the, this kind of like the most extravagant day of the year being wool sausages for us because we just didn't have a lot and I think my mum was always very good with money which basically meant we never had nice stuff we had sensible stuff Mm. so that's part of the reason I love nice stuff (laughs) I've coveted it since I was a a toddler you know like all of my my friends at school who had the, the, the poorest kids had the best stuff and I was and the rich kids had whatever they wanted but this, we were in this bit in the middle where we weren't, my mum wasn't going to buy me, you know, a Game Boy for Christmas for me. She was going to get me, you know, a load of colouring pencils that would colour and write forever and ever. I remember one year I got a cereal box full of stationery, like my own little office, and that was that was a good year. Wait, we're talking about class. My, 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 the thing that I'm so interested in in class. No, no, I'm there. I'm there. The thing for me, it's, so class has always been really interesting to me. And I think there's this American dream of whoever you are, you can work hard enough to like shrug off your little town or whatever and hit the big city and make it. The American dream is all about small to big and living this big life. And nobody knocks people who have come from nothing who have succeeded to be, you know, Britney Spears or whatever. Uh, but it, the dream is completely centred around this e- uh, elevation of, of your roots. And in England, it's just very different. You are, it, there's just such a heritage to your family, to the school you went to, and all of that, to the university that you went to. And I will go to dinners and get on with everyone brilliantly. But there is the, a level at which they are of, of a different class. I don't think it's something that you can unstitch in British society. We're very based on the heritage of where you come from. And that's not a race thing. It's definitely like a, it would, I think it's just something to, that I'm just aware of. It doesn't matter how much money I make, how popular I am, how many, how many lives I touch with my delicious lyrical wording. I will always, I will never be of a particular class in this country. It's, it's a Megan, it's Megan Markle. It's like, it's exact. Mm. And I'm not, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I had that Markle. written down to ask you. I will compare myself to Megan Markle, but you know, it's something that uh, it, it, it's not racism. It's this thing you can't put your finger on where people won't, 
let her live. So to Americans, she succeeded. The American dream, live as big as you can, marry a fucking prince. <laughs> and for us, we're like, but she's not of this British arrows. She's not part of this system. She's, a, she's new money. And I think new money will always be new money. I think it's interesting as well because in Australia, and I think it's the same in New Zealand, Izzy, it's like where you live is a big factor. And in the UK, like because there's always a real combination of like council estates and mansions in the same suburbs or areas Mm. that where you live is not as much of a indicator of anything. So it's very judged by things that you can't change, that you can change your address, but you can't change how you speak or where you went to school or whatever. So it's like much more ingrained in a way. I don't think it is in like more. It sort of boils down to this kind of these very strange and hyper-evolved systems of etiquette and how we behave in the world and whether or not it's not hills or flats that's such a basic example but it's all about like whether you take your shoes off at a party like is that like all these ways that you're allowed to behave if you have a certain kind of breeding and I think it I think we're all and which and like even just knowing which rules to break I remember going to my first ever black tie thing and I bought a brand new bow tie that you tie at the front and so and this posh guy was like why would you buy a tie you tie at the front you just get one with a clip at the back it's already tied for you and I was like oh I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here I don't know how I don't know what rules you break and which ones you keep I've been on YouTube working out how to tie a fucking bow tie for three hours before this party so I think there is you know I think classes it will always be part of kind of Britishness mm, and then you said um you said in your book, which I found really interesting, is that depending on the situation, you'll kind of either lean into your background and talk about where you grew up, and then other mm. times you'll lean into like the fact that now you're lucky enough to have like a holiday house in France. And yeah. how have you kind of navigated that situation or your feelings it, about that as you have gotten It older? never, ever, ever settles. Mm. So I'm always able to... I feel like my USP, my one thing that I am good at is getting on with other people. And that means finding common ground in some way. I think everyone likes a laugh. And I think everyone wants to be, thinks that they have a great sense of humor. So there's always a kind of comp, I can always kind of do a good chat with people and get on with them. Um, But there is a level at which I will find myself being more or less of all of these multifaceted things that I am. I assume I'm not assimilating a kind of creepy, that girl from X-Men way, like she's <laughs> more into other people. But I just like, if I'm, if I'm with, it just, it, I think people make an assumption about like a, a black person in a specific situation and sometimes i want to combat that by saying i have a house in front my family has a house in france my stepdad has a boat and sometimes i don't want to talk about these trappings because i know that they're trivial pursuits and i want to talk about out now on amazon yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i don't want to but maybe i and maybe i want to talk more emotionally so i think i'm always it's a it's a way to find common ground when I love meeting new people it's like my most favorite thing to do and sometimes I'm paranoid that's because I'm 
exhausting to my real friends, but at the same time, there's also a level at which I just love discovering things about new people. And I do, I, I can see, I see people raise eyebrows when I say I've got my family has a house in France. I can see them being like, oh, interesting. Oh, wasn't expecting that, you know? So sometimes it's like a fuck you, quiet fuck you by just flexing like a prick. But do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I, as someone who grew up poor and is very aware of the privileges that they have now, that I have now, it's interesting to me to see people who just are swam in privilege their whole life. I mean, it's t and, and, you know, I grew up in Britain in, you know, early 80s. There's a level of privilege to that anyway. But I, I'm, it's crazy how other people um, can't, don't, just don't, just cannot see it. Mm. Their own, like, how easy they've had it. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. I'm more fascinated than, like, angry or wanting to topple it. I just find it fascinating how completely, how I have access to these spaces that they just walk into quite happily. I think as well, me and Izzy have found that because we both grew up like not very wealthy, but then worked in fashion magazines where you get this strange access to a world that's like very beyond mm. what would normally be your grasp. And um, something you wanted to talk about was this concept of taste because you had such a fantastic quote in your book, which was taste is a made up system of codes deliberately designed to stop people ascending socially. Yeah. And um, I think the notion of taste has changed somewhat because like, Instagram and Into the Glass and Architectural Digest have given this like accessibility to what wealthy people own now. So mm. there's like a very quick connection between I like this, you can buy this at matches in 30 seconds. Yeah. So I was just wondering like what your opinion is on how um, that system has changed in an era where like taste has been kind of democratized in a way. Well, taste has not been democratized. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's evolved in a way that is, look, one of the, one of the things we're all striving not to be is vulgar. And basically your idea of what's vulgar is based on your whole system of taste. So, so if you are, oh, I can't think of good examples without think, mentioning people I know out loud, but there's a level at which like, to, if you are like Wayne Wayneta Slob, do you know who they are? Like Harry Enfield characters. <laughs> no. It's vulgar to like, but it's vulgar to like, have you know wear diamonds and stuff and, and and conversely if you're there's this thing about carol middleton right that that the queen didn't like her that they all thought the royal family thought she was common because she said said things like nice to meet you um which is apparently a total faux pas because you don't know it's nice to meet someone when you meet them like this is the kind of stupid oh etiquette <laughs> that 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 is like it's so meaningless and yet it is it is kind of like imbued with all of this history, stupid history that is all about ceremony and tradition. And, you know, that is kind of British life. It's full of ceremony and tradition. And, and, and the way, uh, so, but, uh, but back to taste, as you so eloquently asked, and thank you for reading out my lovely quote, but there's a level at which um, if it looks too Instagram, I think we all can see how, like we can all think of influencers and how 
they behave and think of ourselves as people with access to loads of different stuff that's amazing that we want to show off and not think of ourselves as influencers so not to, so there's a level at which we can call it out out elsewhere but we can't but we still kind of use those modes we just use them in a way that is elevated that we think is better we are still shooting our food we just don't think of ourselves as me mediocre food bloggers well you're, do you know what i mean yeah you're taking photos of other people's from restaurants and grabbing them as your own which is fucking yes. great and such a life yeah. hack and saves so much time if you do enough scrolls back in the history you can re-gram -re anything went to the, the nicest place no on friday and then it was like can't post anything because it's just blurry and disgusting but now i'm just gonna copy you yeah wait it was duck soup you you oh i that. love duck soup duck soup's the one and especially at the moment because soho at the moment is an absolute dream it's like being on the riviera yeah. And the weather's just turning. <laughs> yeah. but the, the vibe on the street is like... It was oh, wild. It felt like it was New Year's Eve. I went there on Friday night and then we all got kicked out at 10pm. Yeah. And we walked outside and everyone was slauntering out onto the streets. There was a the boy with a boombox. So and the like line yeah. at the offie was like so... We like, waited in line at the offie, got gin and tonics. It's real Riviera like Ayanapa. Mm. Ayanapa, I'm going to say. Because it's not cool, but it is cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, I'm having a good time. This isn't what I designed for my life. But I'm having a good I time. I know. I was like, I, I wish we I love could. it in Soho at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Grace, how is that drink going in your hand? Which is definitely on brand for AWD. Delicious. I may or may not be drinking a Liberty Coast Raspberry Seltzer right now. Divine. Meanwhile, I'm drinking a Hint Seltzer, which is made with New Zealand natural vodka and then just citrus and sparkling water. And it's just that. And it's so bloody refreshing. So refreshing. Perfect for the Australian summer, which is, believe it or not, right around the corner. Yeah, seltzers are literally all anyone drinks in LA. So while I was there for the whole month, I was just drinking seltzers. You take them to the beach. I'm holding them in that picture when I went boogie boarding. A very iconic image and because seltzers are very LA they also contain no gluten and no artificial sweeteners and the one I'm drinking right now which is by Liberty Coast clocks in at a very cool 63 calories per can. We've been doing a lot of taste testing over the past couple of weeks because it's a very hard life but someone has to do it and over that time we've realized that seltzers do differ quite a bit from brand to brand and flavor to flavor so it's worth trying a bunch to find your perfect match just like bumble and hinge if there's anything we know izzy it's a trend when we see one and we both believe that seltzers are going to be incredibly in vogue in australia this summer okay miranda Priestley. but yes dan murphy's does have the widest range of seltzers available in the country so why not pop into a store near you or go online to www.danmurphys.com.au to try some today cheers jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, I really resonated with your piece you wrote for The Guardian earlier this year about race yeah. and identity and um, everything surrounding that because I grew up with a white mum and a brown dad. Um, I'm from New Zealand and he's Māori, which is our indigenous people. And I'm mixed race, but I got my mum's skin. So my mm. dad took off when I was young and we had like a really fractured relationship. So I grew up culturally white and then my mum married a well-off white white man so I really leaned into that because it was much easier and also because I didn't have a relationship with that side of the family so I couldn't lean the Mm. other way um and obviously people see you as a black man so it's vastly different because I can literally Mm. just go around and everyone assumes I'm white um but how have you kind of dealt with your identity and relationship to being mixed race it is absolutely a kind of it's I'm so moved to Brighton so he lived in London my mom was so hyper aware of my black identity and trying to nurture that. She started a support group called Mosaic uh, for like mixed race families. But it was such a, I was, I think part of the reason I've always been so self-assured is from a lot of identity bolstering and understanding that my mum helped with. I mean, people would ask me why my mum was white when I was a kid. So I remember that feeling of like constantly being aware of my identity and 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 i think that's part of the reason it's so assured now um your question is about navigating mixed raceness yeah i think i don't think it will ever settle i don't think i'll ever feel like i've completely succeeded in as a representation of a black man nor will i feel the same about a white man and i am 50 percent of each of those things so there's a level at which i will always be keen to i always i just i keep thinking about having kids and having these like beautiful brown children and people being racist to them and and completely losing my shit and i can't escape that feeling of like i'm not an i'm not an angry person but i if we we are coming you know there's a lot of us who have come so far in terms of our understanding of how not to be a dick and I just I think that will be more of a a kind of reminder to me that there's like hundreds of dicks out there we aren't done Mm. (laughs) I just never meet them or very seldomly you know there's a level at which racism has moved beyond someone being racist to you you know we all think of it you know there's a there's a common conception of it being active hate and I just think people are wise to not actively hating I think it's just much smarter and we have there's a level at which we have to all be smarter to weed it out Mm. I loved as well how you said that like right at the end you were like I think that a part of it was like the whole a part of the whole thing with your dad was like literally that you just weren't in close enough proximity to him because that's, yeah. that's yeah, like yeah, yeah. how I feel as well because I'm like I don't have a relationship with my dad or any of my Maori side of the family and then now yeah. and then like as I've grown older I've when I was really young I like really tried to lean into it and then I was told to fuck yeah. off because I was white 
like all the time yep. by teachers or anyone. Like I would try and join the literal dance classes and be told I couldn't because yeah. I looked white. And then so I was like, oh, fuck it. Okay, then I'll just go like the easier route. Um, mm. But then it's like really hard to unpack your identity when, yeah, you feel like you have not that many ties to it. I wish that my dad had been a lot of different, had said the exact right thing at the exact right time. But I think about that in my own life all the time. Mm. I never, I, I very seldomly say the exact right thing at the exact right time. And I just, I think I opened that piece saying you never know what will stick with a kid for, for particularly of all the hundreds of things my dad must have said to me when he said you're not black enough I mean I've just I've carried that with me ever since How, and and trying to uh, have my black identity not just be the color of my skin basically how do I like how do I not just be the white guy with a boat and a house in France who also happens to be brown. Like, how do I be better at keeping that all, keeping that, that like that talking about this multifaceted personality or self, how do I keep as much of that all as part of who I am in everything that I do? I mean, I think I would say this isn't necessarily a kind of black identity thing. I think a lot of us find it very, hard to just uh, hold on to knowing who we are all the time and being that kind of person in every aspect <laughs> i spent a lot of time looking back thinking oh that was not great oh why did i snap at my husband again like there's no need i know better so i think i think we all have that and my particular identity is 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 just it does evolve and i hope that it gets more something i hope it just keeps getting better mm. obviously <laughs> it's tough that they wouldn't let you dance in the dance class i, I know. eventually because i i eventually had to bring in um proof of my last name which is a maori that is not cool last name i know it's because i look so white and even now the other day someone tried to call me a white savior when i was trying to do something for maori rights yeah. and i was like my dad is so fucking brown it's insane i'm just like <laughs> yeah. I'm just ah. so white. Yeah. You're that, but like that's like the Obama birth certificate. You have to <laughs> I know. Right. So eventually they let me in, but then my fucking um mum doesn't know where the photo is, so <laughs> she's <just> elsewhere. <laughs> it's somewhere it's somewhere else. She's like, I'm not sure. I'm sure. It's somewhere. She's like, what? I have no evidence of my childhood because she just will not tell me. She where doesn't the know where are. all the shit is. I bet she does. <laughs> That's the kind of parent I'll be. I'm like, I don't, I like, I don't know. Did you, she's like, did you not keep it? I'm like, what? I was a fucking child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, so one of your most recent uh, essays for Vogue was about Brad Pitt. Yes. Um, we obviously, we all watched the video. Yeah. Yeah. We watched yes, it we in bed together. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> It was the first time reading that that it really crossed our minds because I was like, Brad Pitt at 57 must be to men what, like, Bella Hadid in a bikini is to women. Like, I think yeah. we tend to think that, like, women are the only victims of unrealistic standards of ageing or beauty. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to ask you if you think it's a thing that affects men more than maybe um, society lets on. Hopefully the great kind of um, equality of the genders is men having to think about how they look a bit more. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, 
I just remember, I think, um, I think we just have this, we have very, very old understanding of what aging is, whether you are a man or a woman and when you peak and when you don't and when that peak is done. And I think there's a ma- huge amount of, on, of pressure on women to kind of be at their peak for as long as fucking possible. And I don't want to talk on behalf of, women i just was very interested in the brad pitt thing because there's no one out there there's very few like i find it like i I feel like you couldn't i worried because when the woman when that lady commented on my instagram being like you think that this is true that women are like fruit that get ripe and go off and you think men are like cigars and they just get better with age i was like no can't you hear how annoyed I am about this in the piece. I'm annoyed that everyone fancies Brad Pitt. Like it's annoying to me because he is only okay. He is nice enough looking. <laughs> he's not, he's not, he, 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 he's just symmetrical and blonde and blue eyed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like this default beauty. It, it doesn't involve a, a kind of, it's not about my taste. It's not like an expression of good taste. If that's and we find his wrinkles so, like, the fact that he has wrinkles everywhere, we find so hot. Imagine if it was a woman. It'd be like, I, well, he, he looks like um, Katie Hopkins. Like, they look very, very, very similar. <laughs> no one's, like, saying this. No one's, like, in my DMs being like, still would, Katie Hopkins. So there's a level at which... I, I, you know, and, and it's not that he's not attractive. It's just that we have this default societal thing about white guys. And I just wanted to try and explain that he is just, like he is doing the minimum. As a white straight man, he's doing the minimum at 57 and everyone's falling on the floor, falling over themselves for it. I just was, was I'm so interested in like, he's like, He's not an acquired taste. He's like a, he fits into a very kind of default mold of beauty and people can't say, don't seem to be able to say it's so obvious. I was like, it's so obvious, it's so annoying. Mm. Everyone, we are all losing our shit over Brad Pitt and I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating biscuits. <laughs> it's not, no, there's like so many older hot men in that video. I was like, this is, this is, this is amazing. Think of it as this an ensemble cast, all different types of people, loads of different ages, and everyone's shitting their pants over the, the white straight man. I was like, "Yeah, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing." And I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get drawn into saying women should like to speak on behalf of women about how that's unfair. I was just like, this is societally quite unfair because he is just. But we're doing we're doing the thing that we've all agreed not to do, which is have white straight cis men be the main be the be be the cent the center of our attention all the time. We're meant to be looking at other. We're meant to be looking at. We're meant to be outside of this. We talked about it recently as well, where we were like, we all look at Brad Pitt and we're like, angel, perfect, sent from heaven. And it's like two years ago, he was like coming out as a recovering alcoholic. The like. Child yeah. services were called on his kid. His wife divorced him. Now he's dating a 27-year-old married model. And we're like, perfection. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's married. <laughs> yes. Good man. He's ah! on. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing no, can touch him. No, no, no. Nothing can touch him. 
I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, he's all right. I wonder, I, I, I can't think of, you know, any actors of colour or female or, or actresses, female actors, um, who could who could have had such a rocky couple of years and still have everyone saying, look at this heavenly creature. Are they fully divorced, him and Angie? Because I heard it's really hard. I think financially it's quite difficult. I heard especially because a lot of rich people in California, Hollywood people, put their money in vineyards and it's really, really, really hard to work out the value of a vineyard because you don't know when the vintage year will oh, be. Shit, yeah. And trying to split that up is like absolute hell because you might be giving half the land and you get a vintage year that's worth like £900 a bowl and the other person might get 10 quid a bottle. Very interesting. I also like was obsessed with your essay on vanity. I found it so funny because I listened to it while I was running around the park obviously yeah. just trying to get skinnier and then you were talking about how <laughs> you want smaller thighs and then you were like low impact cardio oh is God. the best for that so i was like this is fucking brilliant and then how like yeah. everyone acts like they're not doing anything while everyone's secretly doing everything to look nicer we all want this we all want <laughs> this kind of um hedonistic fun loving party animal good time life but we all want to look like we sleep like 20 hours a day we all want vampire faces we all none of us want it to show so i think there's a there's a kind of it's always called like beauty secrets you never have people just being like oh i just drink loads of diet coke all the time uh I, i'm like you no one's ever saying how naughty they are it's always this this cloak and dagger mystique around how people look good i think it's changing to wellness but there's a level at which wellness is sort of thinness rebranded. Mm. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's just easier to say wellness. You know, dieting dieting is not actually, there was a great piece by Taffy Anker Broadster, what's her full name, Taffy, in The New Yorker about how Weight Watchers just went from thinness to wellness. They just pivoted. So, and it becomes something that you can say quite, in everyday conversation that isn't like, oh, I'm trying to be thinner. People are like, oh, don't say that. Like if models dare be um, honest about what they're actually eating before the Victoria's Secret. Yeah, we did that on the podcast. We did a thing about how like Kelly Reaper of all people had done it, like what I eat in a day for Harper's Bazaar. And like, obviously no one had given her the brief that you're supposed to lie. So she was like, oh, I eat like a salad for lunch. And then a smaller version of the same salad for dinner. And then if I'm really, 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 really hungry, I eat one almond. And everyone was like, oh, my God. And it's like, obviously, that's what everyone does. But she just didn't know you were supposed to lie and say, like. crazy. It was so I love good. reading people's my day on a plate. It's all God, lies, may that but format, it's still May hard. that format never die. <laughs> never die. It's a it brilliant won't. format. I listened to, I read one with Adele, like, years and years and years ago. And she said that her mum makes meatballs, but she hides mozzarella inside them so they're like cheese meatballs oh and i was God. like this is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> that's why i needed my meatballs che- molten cheese molten <laughs> cheese Good. okay so it's getting dark outside it's yeah. almost pitch black so we're going to ask our final question to you which is extremely important um you have discussed the social capital of being tall mm. you are six foot four 
and a half and the half was added by <laughs> yoga is that yes. correct this yes really we've done our research for proper journalists yes. <laughs> okay do you think this is something me and izzy are talking about a lot do you yeah. think that if there is social capital from being tall that is it is then discriminatory to not date shorter men oh yes there you go <laughs> you can't you can't ding, ding, ding. being tall is the most is like the most fucked up stupid in, it's like an invisible killer, like carbon monoxide. It's like, we are just so, you can get away with absolutely anything if you're tall. And I just, I am, as a tall person, I, I disagree with that. Like, honestly, <laughs> my friend, my fr- friends who are girls who are like 5'10", men are always like, oh, you're tall. Oh, you're tall. Like men, straight men do not like tall, like have, it's not that they don't like tall women. They can't just That's let her I, be a tall woman. I was thinking, I thought you she were meaning... She can't just be a tall woman. I thought you were meaning all tall people. And I was like, definitely not. It's like tall men everyone loves. And then tall women, I'm like, I feel like I'm like try, trying to be shorter because of all the short men around who are like scared about it. I don't think, I don't have any problem with short men. I just think they, we are, we've all had this kind of, we've all lived by the bias of tallness. Mm. From, uh, you know, tall people are more confident from a lifetime of bias towards them. Tall people earn more. Tall, tall people are generally more happy because people are nicer to them. This is in, from Bloomberg. Okay, do you know that every US president has been tall? Like yeah. almost every US president has been yeah. over six foot. Like it's this weird cultural thing that we don't even realize that we have. And it's the same as us all say, when we meet when we meet celebrities, when you see actors, people have that thing about actors being shorter in the flesh. It's because you are just, it's filling this fantasy of someone being brilliant is that they are tall. That's actually so true. Every single time I've seen Crazy. an actress in real life, I've been like, what the fuck? I thought they were gonna be like an Amazonian supermodel. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki's six foot three though, isn't she? She's so tall. She's yeah, like, she's tall. <laughs> what I would, I am here for her. What yeah. I would call a tall glass of water. She is a tall glass of water. But that's why I never spot celebrities usually, because I'm looking for this huge tall person. And then like- Yeah, in... you're looking for the rock. Yeah. And the rock is down near the floor. <laughs> yeah. How tall is the rock? Paul Miscal like is not can't... tall. <laughs> no, they, none of them are. It's the screen, it's the, it's the, it's the ambiance of the silver screen. It's just raising, it's, funny, it's yeah. giving your expectations too high. But I, I, I think you should definitely not not date people that aren't tall. <laughs> There's a lot of negatives, double negatives, triple negatives. No, I mean, I, I just, I think it's like, I wonder if it would seem so joyful and interesting if I wasn't tall, because I find it fascinating. And then I'm like, and thank God I'm tall. I like, I love being tall. Yeah. And it and it has always been like a characteristic that people continually mention ever since I was a kid. You should play basketball. I mean, as if I'm going to play competitive sport. <laughs> I have a great story about that actually. Yes, which is when I um you remember Izzy yes. when I played basketball for the first time ever. Um, I was so bad that there was like a mum on my team that used to run up and down the court yelling, "Don't pass to Grace." No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not very chill. <laughs> it was, we were like 12 and my dad, my dad, who's like, um, he lives, he's 
I was born in England. We moved to Australia. He stayed in England. Um, and he came back and he just said he was just like, I just pretended that I was like another parent agreeing with them. Oh, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, 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 fuck her. Like, don't pass it to that weird girl. <laughs> is, he knowing, is he knowing me would know that that was probably like a pretty strategic call. Very wise. You basically like came out as bad at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I hoodwinked everyone by being tall. So everyone was like, great, yeah. get her on the team. And then I was just useless. I, but I, I also, in England, we like it's not um, basketball for the girls, it's netball, which is the most saddest version of basketball. Same, same back home, right? It's right? so sad. It's netball. <laughs> it's so depressing. You're not, the second you have the ball, you can't move. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so cruel. Yeah. I was like, if that is not a metaphor for something, <laughs> like the second you have the power, you've got to stop. You better stop, ladies. Basketball, people will like scratch you and hurt mm. you. Basketball and stop, is like blinking and, and, and so they've scored. Netball's like everyone's standing still <laughs> with yeah. very cute bibs on. It's so true. Stupid sport. I mean, brilliant and stupid sport. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Raven. Yes. That You're more than welcome. Spin. You're. I, I'm very glad to be here, and I'm glad. I actually am very touched about how not how not how good your research is, but how much <laughs> how of my back. <laughs> no, but just how much of my back catalogue you've, you've enjoyed, because you know, I because of the way that I work, I'm always thinking about what next. So it's just brilliant to just reflect on nice stuff that I've, that I've done. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Izzy, we've, Izzy, we've done the podcast version of taking a selfie. Yeah, we literally <laughs> have. I know. Yeah. Where Raven's like, Raven's like, okay, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, I'm just really glad that, I'm glad we made yeah. it happen. See you in London fields soon, I'm sure. Yes. Thanks, Raven. Thanks, chaps. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 